1: Not only do we make dozens of award winners ourselves, but we also write about our favourite podcasts from around the world too. Every week, our column Here Here, that's here, as in hearing, and here, as in where, comes out filled with recommendations from you, our listeners. We sift through them all to find the hidden gems that the podcasting world has to offer. These podcasts are often small yet mighty productions, which you probably wouldn't find highlighted on your usual podcatchers. So, if you're looking for your next podcast or have one that you want to share with the world, sign up for our weekly Hear Here newsletter at theguardian.com forward slash podmail and send us an email at podcasts at The Guardian Hello. And a Happy New Year, albeit slightly belated to all. This is Brexit Means, the Guardian's regular dispatch from Brexit land, back in your ears for its very first episode of 2018, the year that will make or break Brexit. In fact, of course, it's more like the 10 months that will make or break Brexit. With the Article 50 divorce talks over although with a number of potentially problematic loose ends still to tie up, which we'll come to in a bit, the UK and the EU need to sign off on that separation agreement and settle on at least an outline of future trading ties by October. And that's a deadline that's going to have to be respected if all 28 capitals, including London, are to get time to approve it before Britain leaves at the end of March 2019. That's a lot to get through and there's a lot that could go wrong. So... With me to discuss what the coming few months might hold and all the latest Brexit developments are The Guardian's Brexit correspondent, Lisa O'Carroll, and Brussels Bureau Chief, Dan Boffy. Welcome both. Let's start with the news then. Theresa May's much heralded cabinet reshuffle first. Now, the general verdict seems to be fairly underwhelming and with not many implications for Brexit. The key players on either side of the debate, I suppose that would be David Davis, Boris Johnson on the one hand, Philip Hammond, Amber Rudd on the other. They all remain in place and the broad balance in the cabinet between leavers and remainers is pretty much maintained. But there are a couple of things to note. The appointment of David Liddington, for example, a former Europe minister who campaigned against leaving the EU to the position of de facto deputy PM. And the departure of Justine Greening, the education secretary, to the backbenches, where as a highly disgruntled one imagines ex-Cabinet minister and a very eloquent remainer, she could start causing all kinds of trouble. Any thoughts on that, Lisa? And also, might the new Northern Ireland Secretary make any difference there in what looks set to be a really critical Brexit issue? Uh,
2: Well, on the general point first, I think, as you said, everybody here is describing it as underwhelming. There was a very funny line in a column by Anne McElvoy before the reshuffle describing reshuffles in January as uh, similar to diets for civilians. So um, (laughs) it's an opportunity missed. It was... I think the most significant thing in the reshuffle was, apart from the Damien Green David Lidington swap, was the number of vice chair. If you look at a photograph of that, the vice chair James mm-hmm. uh, Cleverly being the deputy chair of the Conservative chairman. Party. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, I think that that is that that was interesting in terms of where the Tory Party sees their failures in terms of the
1: election last um, June. So uh, for you, it was more about the party than about the government.
2: I think so. On on the Northern Ireland point, I also thought it was really interesting having read all the political columns in the main papers today. Northern Ireland, James Brokenshire and his replacement Karen Bradley don't get a mention anywhere, which shows you um, back to normal business. Northern Ireland doesn't really score very highly in the general narrative in Britain. That said, um, Karen Bradley has got an extremely big challenge ahead of her. I noticed that William Hague in the Telegraph gave his advice to incoming ministers this morning, said, listen to your civil service. Give yourself six weeks to uh, read in and work out where you want to be in two years because the two year time frame is where all ministers should expect to be either sacked or promoted <laughs> and unfortunately none of the ministers have that they have 10 months and in northern ireland we're looking at you know much much shorter time frame the 10th of january tomorrow is the first anniversary of martin McGuinness imploding the mm-hmm. assembly there they're a year without um, local government the threat of direct rule looms large in the
1: background and there are tough decisions that karen bradley may have to to make or, to make yeah and and is that going to play into brexit at all or, or do you think not
2: well, I, th- I think the fact that she is a loyal uh, and trusted colleague from uh, Theresa May's Home Office days shows that May didn't want to risk Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland has st- has got a very obvious potential to be a landmine. It, st- it still is a mm. landmine. In talks, they didn't solve mm. the issue. They came up with some some words, um, but the, but the actual. The fire. issue remains.
1: The fundamentals, of the, fundamentals of the issue are still there, aren't yeah, yeah. they? Okay, okay, Dan. Perhaps one of the other most striking things about this reshuffle was the way it seems to have demonstrated how little authority Theresa May actually has over her ministers. I mean, several of them simply refused to move and ended up staying uh, where they were. Do you think that's the most significant message that Brussels will take away from this?
0: I don't think they needed a, any reminder of um, how weak she was. I mean, that was really sort of laid bare very clearly when the DUP uh, pulled the rug under um, on that, that day when we thought we had agreement uh, on the first phase mm. um, ahead of Christmas, and then it all fell apart when Arlene Foster said no. Um, so I don't, think, I don't think there's anything new on that for them. Uh, they will be pleased, actually, in a way that the current negotiating team in the UK hasn't changed. Um they're not particularly fond of David Davis. The relationship between him and Michel Barnier is is working, you know, workmanlike nothing nothing more than that. Mm. But change would have would not have been welcome here. They've had enough of that. Um David Liddington will be a uh, a welcome um uh a welcome new face.
1: I mean he knows Europe, he knows yeah, the Europe well. Very
0: um, minister for the eu mm. that the british government had ever had and he's extremely well liked um over here extremely well um respected so mm. that's good news it looks like ollie robbins uh, the sort of little talk that ollie robbins has sort of even strengthened his position he's got a, um uh during this process so that they'll be pleased with that because they like him mm. um but the, the, the weakness aspect that they all knew about already that's really gonna to come to the fore. So, you know, maybe there's may a bit of foreboding here, a bit of forewarning. Um, that's really gonna to come to a fore this in this next few months because it's the, the, the cake and eat it philosophy where um Theresa May was, could pretend to, to the cabinet that everything would be exactly as it is, but even better. Yeah. That's not going to that's not going to last much longer. The reality's gonna hit and when reality hits then, you know, all the different ministers go off on their own little um, journey, and they tell their own little stories, and mm. it all falls apart. So that that'll be the the, the worry here. Um, but otherwise.
1: Not much to see. Not much to see. Fine. OK, um, let's just have a little recap of what news there was over the holiday period. There wasn't a lot, to be honest, as far as Brexit was concerned. Um, bar perhaps uh, the resignation, the quite sort of spectacular uh, or at least highly publicised resignation of the Labour peer, Andrew Adonis, uh, as the government's kind of in- infrastructure czar, um, he used particularly colourful language that was obviously seized on by uh, by by. by by anti- He described Brexit as a national spasm that was causing a kind of nervous breakdown in Whitehall. And he said that the EU withdrawal bill, government's EU withdrawal bill, was the worst legislation of my lifetime. Um, So that was year-end fireworks. Uh, David Davis also raised a few eyebrows. He rather cheekily nicked the Commission's negotiating motto, no cherry-picking, against the bloc. He said it was the EU that wouldn't be able to cherry-pick in a future Trading relationship because the UK would simply refuse to accept any deal that didn't include services. A few eyebrows raised at that, and he's raised a few more this week, with a leaked letter to Theresa May complaining rather extraordinarily about the EU's preparations for a no deal. Uh, now, that might strike some as a little bit rich, coming from a government that spent much of last year shouting that no deal was better than a bad deal. Uh, but, Dan, can you fill us in a, a little bit on this? I know you've been writing about it. What did the letter actually say, and how has it gone down in Brussels?
0: Yeah, it's gone down appallingly badly. Uh, I can't believe they would want this, this out, and the timing is poor. So the letter essentially said that um, the EU was discriminating against the, the UK, while it was still a member of the bloc, by warning businesses of the consequences of no deal, by warning businesses that on the 29th of March 2019 the, EU, the UK will leave the bloc and there will be consequences for that. Um, and, and, and to be honest, all the warnings that the, that the EU has provided to businesses, they have mentioned that uh, they hope to have a transition period, but they've just been making it clear that there, there are repercussions for, mm. the EU, for the UK no longer being an EU member. Davis... Um, was in his letter saying that uh, he wanted the EU to retract those warnings um, that he had taken legal advice and government lawyers had advised him that um, he was probably not on great ground but he was nevertheless going to pursue this with the commission Um, the commission this week responded saying there's no discrimination whatsoever all we've done is respond to Theresa May's repeated warnings in in two major speeches the Lancaster House speech and the Florence Mm. speech that the British government believed that no deal was better than a bad deal, and therefore that EU was just doing the, the preparations they needed to do just in case. You know, they're surprised that the UK surprised. They furthermore um, say that they're not going to withdraw any, any of their warnings, and they, I think, they just want Britain to get serious. And uh, it seems odd um, that this has come out. That Davis is wasting his time on this. There's so, so many bigger things. I mean, there are, yeah. the, the, the UK does have one point in this, in that. In some contracts recently, for example, with Galileo, this is big satellite project, it's a £10 billion project for an EU satellite. And in the, in the, um, the contracts for that for t- to various companies around the, the EU, the commission has included a clause saying that um, should the company uh, belong to a, a member state that falls out of the EU, mm. then that company could lose its contract. Mm. And and. Legal experts say, well, that that could
1: potentially. You might be on slightly dodgy ground. There, it might be slightly in it, but yeah. it's
0: it's 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 a small feed. It's not it's not it's not a massive amount of money. Um, it's it's not big picture. Mm. Why is the Brexit secretary yes. <laughs> worrying about this sort of stuff?
1: I mean, the optics of this must be terrible in Brussels, aren't they? I mean, yeah. <laughs> cause it's the, the British government complaining about something that it has, self be, it has itself been calling for, or at least warning of, and and, and some parts of the government preaching uh, for the last several months.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I think, I think there was suggestions to be a minister for no deal, and mm. and, the, and the timing seems odd in that. Apparently, David Davis and Philip Hammond in the next few days are doing a little tour of, um, of Europe and are trying to sort of change the rhetoric. They're going to, have to appeal to the EU to put aside all the, the grandstanding of the first phase uh, and sort of get real and be uh, mm. more sensible and grown up. And then you've got this sort of nonsense. Mm. Um, it, it really does set it sets a bad tone for. The
1: next year. It doesn't make like, make the government look very serious, does it, Lisa? Any anything further to say? Yeah, a couple that? of things.
2: I also I agree with them, Dan. <clears throat> what is he doing? But also, I thought what was interesting was the leak itself over the Christmas. We had more. Sort of um, muttering about David Davis' position. And in recent days, we had speculation that Steve Baker, one of his ministers, was going to be moved and mm. become a an official no deal minister. And um, this has been seen as yet another move to undermine his department or to weaken his department after uh, Theresa May um, pulled Ollie Robbins away from him mm. and mm. Uh, gave him. To commit number 10. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so I thought the leak was interesting who leaked it and what was its purpose. But also, The the timing of it is completely wrong. This is something that they should have done a year, 18 months ago. Right now, January, all the banks are making, in the first quarter of this year, Mm. are likely to make decisions on whether they're going to be um, moving uh, substantive um, parts of their businesses out from the Canary Wharf in the city to wherever in Europe... There are real decisions being made. Mm. The, the businesses in this country have been warning about this for over a year now. And these are the kind of things that and, the government and should be the faffing
1: around with this kind of stuff is really, really... And
2: Yonker again this, this week reminded Britain that there would be no deal for financial services. It's, mm. it's not part of mm. part of the, the mm. EU's um, plan at all.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so typically, sort of bombastic, David Davis. Really. Um, while, while we're on bombast, um, I know that you wanted to have a word about Jeremy Corbyn uh, and and, and Labour. Um, you were very disappointed in in in, in, in the Labour leader's statement. This
2: I week. no, I just I just thought that it was a very significant story yesterday. Uh, Ruina Mason, the deputy political editor, wrote about it. He told colleagues that. Um, it wasn't possible to stay in the single market. A source is saying the single market is not a membership club, that we can be joined. And mm. I think this goes to the point um, about the Corbyn Labour Party, Corbyn and um, etc., seeing the uh, European Union as a capitalist membership club. And I think it, what was what, not so much disappointing for me personally, but I think for Remainers is the, the, it, that it, it kind of, Um, puts the kibosh on any sort of scintilla of the Labour Party Mm. turning Mm. to the Blair view Um, and uh, possibly um, Mm. becoming a real opposition to Brexit and I also thought it was you know you mentioned um, Andrew Adonis' remarks before Christmas but but also let's not forget Tony Blair has Mm. been out and um, again uh, calling for the Labour Party to review its position he has outlined things as Martin Kettle said he is you know Tony Blair is is damaged permanently because of Iraq but Mm. yet he is articulating things better Better than than anybody else and he talked about About four options that um, Blair set set out for Britain remain and reform, which is something that Cameron had obviously tried Mm -hmm. to do. Leave, but stay in the single market and the customs union. And I sincerely believe that a lot of people in the Labour Party think that that is an option that the Labour Party should still be pursuing. Mm -hmm. Um, Exit all structures, but make a bespoke deal. um, And the fourth one, make a virtue of leaving, um, i.e. do a massive PR job on why it is. It is why it is. a good thing and you know the Tories could I was reminded in Ireland over Christmas that they could they could harness arguments that there are really good, good arguments against the EU and one of them is the deepening um, federal, mm-hmm. federalisation of the EU um, that is an argument that we don't hear in this country but it's something that is, is, is going to be yes, quite strong yeah, in other countries yeah. in the and,
1: and, and Labour's position you know Labour's position does matter mm-hmm. because this coming year it, it is it, I mean you know we, I'm going to ask you both to sort of gaze into the crystal ball a little bit but it's, it's very very difficult to to know what's going to happen because so many things could go wrong. So many different eventualities could come to pass. I mean, let's let's cast ourselves forward a little bit, um, if we can. Um, Dan, concretely first, the, the the first steps in the new year are going to be the transition deal, aren't they? Uh, and I know that, you know, the UK is still officially saying that it wants more than an outline uh, trade deal. Uh, but given that, you know, the time constraints, that l- looks all but impossible. Um, but Theresa May said she she wants the transition deal or the implementation period agreed by the end of March. I believe the Commission said the same. Is, is that going to happen? Does that look likely to you?
0: I think, I think March is, uh, is doable, but that depends on whether there are any surprises. And I think the lesson we've learned from the last mm. 10 months is that the, this, the negotiations constantly bring up surprises. And if you look think back, you've got uh, Gibraltar and mm. all sorts of an island just mm. suddenly pop up out of nowhere, and, and it causes massive delays and um, and uh, Distractions, and, yeah. Yeah, but there, at the moment, yes, the, so the transition is, is the main feast for the next. Three months, mm-hmm. two and a half months, but there are, there are there are other things going on. So there are still loose ends from the first phase um, that need to be tightened up. Um, the European Parliament is still concerned about the administration for citizens in the, uh, EU citizens in the UK mm-hmm. and the costs and stuff like that. Um, there's a, they, they, right at the moment, the Commission is is drafting a treaty which will put into legal language all the agreements of the first phase. Now that. Actually, then the UK will be involved in the trust in that treaty as well. And the problem is, you know, then you're really putting things into legally certain terms. And so any ambiguity in the, the joint uh, document that was published before Christmas, that'll suddenly can be, that'll jump out and they will bound to be disagreements around the wording. So that that caused, caused problems. Then there are just issues that in the, were meant to be settled in the first phase. There weren't the three three big issues, that being citizens' rights, financial settlement, mm-hmm. and the uh, Irish border. But there were other issues that were meant to be dealt with, such as Euratom. Mm-hmm weren't at all really didn't get anywhere near it um so they'll have to be sorted out and things like goods on the market goods that are already in the market when the uk leaves and they've got the branding got the EU branding and, and the uh, and all that sort of stuff do mm. they still in the uk do they still- how do
1: you treat those yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: that still needs to be deal- dealt with and then so you've got all that stuff and then you've got the transition the terms of the transition deal to be sorted at the same time mm. but terms of the transition deal i don't think there's too much difference between the UK and the EU on it, you know, status quo Uh, but things like aviation, is that going to be covered? Mm -hmm. No Um, that might cause some uh, upset in in London and there are things uh, Mm. treaties third third party treaties free trade treaties around the world Um, as it stands the logic would be that we would fall out of all those treaties, we're no longer an EU member so any EU, say Japan treaty, we'd fall out of that are, we, are you going to help us out and um, uh, and keep us in those or not? That that needs to be discussed. Yeah. I suspect the EU will, will will say yes. You should stay in for the transition period. Um, but ultimately, I think I think March we'll get to March, and I don't think there'll be too much issue on the transition period. And hopefully, hopefully, none of those big surprises—the last first phase—will will, will jump up. I mean, I, yeah, and we'll, we'll get. But then then reality hits. Honestly, March is when it's all going to. <laughs>
1: It might, it might, it might be. It's, it's all going it's all, it's all to kick off in it's all March. Kick off yeah, again. It is true that, you know, an awful, there, as I said, there's a lot that could still go wrong. I mean, and Lisa, you, you alluded to it, obviously. And so did you, Dan, with this old cake and eat it business. I mean, you know, the, the problem here really is that Britain continues to insist it wants this creative sort of deep and special relationship hanging on to most of the benefits of EU membership. But its own red lines preclude staying in the single market. And, you know, then beyond above and beyond that, without without Customs Union, with the EU, there's no solution in sight for the Irish border. Uh, and there's no indication of how the Prime Minister can possibly keep all three of, of the, the DUP, which her, her majority depends on, and the, and the Irish government and her own Brexiters, happy. Um, now, the the... the The EU has made it abundantly clear that those UK red lines, which are basically about, as as the government puts it, taking back control of borders, money and laws, pretty much mean that the only future relationship that can be on the table is a trade deal along the lines of Canada's, maybe a bit of extra cooperation in areas like like defence and justice, but with customs barriers and minus any real provision for the services that are so critically important to, to the UK economy. Lisa, turning to you. You know, beyond the transition deal, which, as Dan said, looks to be, you know, the least of the government's problems over the the next few months, do you think it remains the case that that, that the government, you know, is going to have to finally sort out what it actually wants and agree uh, what it actually wants from Brexit uh, over the next few months? And does it boil down to this difference, which seems to have been kind of clarified, I suppose, at the end of last year, Uh, between basically those who want to align Britain as closely as possible with Europe and those who who seek to diverge over the medium and long term.
2: Yes, exactly. As we said before I suppose when we get down to the discussions about the trade and the other issues it's where the reality hits Mm. Brexit fantasy. So at the moment we're still in this kind of fantasy territory where there's political capitals in saying that we're out of the single market we're out of the customs union, we're washing our hands clean of the EU but the reality of being out of that is the cold isolated position and you know being a third country outside of the EU compared to being within the EU and having deals with 60 Mm -hmm. countries it's going to be it's going to be a lonely place and it's going to be a tough place to be and yeah I I think as the details of of that, that kind of existence Come through um, yeah. as a, or, you know, sink in. That's where we, we that's where the mortal problems mortal. might
1: start to arise. Yeah, exactly, mortal. yeah. As the, as the shape of the final deal becomes clearer, um, yeah, it, it, a lot of things will start to fall into place. And it's possible, Dan, isn't it? That um, you know, I would I would imagine it's perfectly possible that that if that deal shape of that deal, a, a, a kind of basically a Canada style deal, starts to be, become clear, then you know, that surely there'll be plenty of pro-Brexit campaigners in the UK who are going to start questioning whether it's worth paying the, the 40 billion quid that, that that Britain basically agreed to pay up as a financial settlement uh, at the end of last year it's possible that the talks could break down before October that that, that, that Theresa May's government could fall even that the UK could completely walk out um, what, what, what do you think the EU is expecting over over the coming months any of those? Those those events, any of those eventualities, those combinations, are, are there? Are there? Are there scenarios that it thinks are more likely than others?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, one senior official just said, just expects a mess, a horrible mess, <laughs> and it's not it's not so much Britain work, walk, walking out. You know, you, you, you just could run to the end of the line and uh, nothing getting sorted just mm. because you've got the internal debate in the UK and the failure to, to understand the reality or to accept the reality of. Of the situation, you know, if you leave the customs union, you can't then reinvent all the benefits of the customs union while having trade trade deals with the rest of the world, etc. Mm. It's, it's the UK internal debate has been an issue throughout and will remain an issue, and, and those and the stark differences in the covenant, cabinet will become very clear. And as you say, people start questioning whether forty billion, you know, is this mm. what's being offered worth it? But then, the, the, what hasn't didn't happen in the first phase very much? Did happen. On the, in the margins, but in the second phase we're going to see the EU fracturing. I have no doubt in my mind.
1: I, I was going to ask, yeah, uh, that's right. I was, was Emmanuel Macron, he, didn't, he warned about this last week. He said yeah. that there was a real danger that as individual member states in the EU27 start to look after their own interests yeah. that that kind of unity that was so striking in the first round might yeah. might start to weaken.
0: It's already happened. It's already started to happen that um, the different, I mean, Michel Barnier today was with the, the Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte, and that's no great surprise because the Dutch are probably our closest allies yeah. have been in the EU along with Denmark, and they want they want a comprehensive. You know, they, they would be, if anything, they'll be sort of batting for us. That's not what they say in public, but behind the scenes, they they are. They're not particularly pleased with um, the, the the line being taken by Germany and France. On financial services, for example, mm-hmm. um, on in terms of checks and customs, you know, it's, it's really important for them that trade flows nice and smoothly. So I, I can see the fractions or the fractures are already a, a appearing. Um, so Bonnie has a, a, a very big task. Then you've got, I mean, it, it, so you've got that going on. And then I think Lisa mentioned it earlier that the issue of Ireland was, was just fudged in yeah. the last round. And everybody says it. Um, behind, they just say, you know, it just shows the Irish issue shows, in the words of one senior official, the unfeasibility of Brexit, because the the fudge they came up with, where oh well, um, we'll come up with something later on, or uh, we won't have a, a hard border because um, we'll come up with a, a trade deal that mm. sorts it out. It's just not going to happen, and yeah. so they ended up. Britain ended up saying, well, we'll have complete alignment with. The EU, and uh, that's how we'll deal, deal with it. If uh, worse comes to worst, well, that's just being an EU member. Mm. So Ireland is going to explode as well in the in the second part. Ireland doesn't have a veto on on a final deal. It's a qualified majority mm. of member um, states will have. To do it. But but the way this this is working is that Ireland's voice will be important. There are there are a the myriad number of ways. this, this
1: it could it all horribly, it could all go wrong. horribly wrong. Lisa, do you, do you see just briefly? We're we're sort of wrapping up now. Do you see um, Ireland as the? as yeah. the major stumbling
2: block? I, I was just going to say, I'm currently reading, um, I thought I should, Jonathan Powell's book on the um, negotiation of the Good Friday Agreement, and it is fascinating. So, you, you know, it's the ultimate chronicle of brinkmanship, hyper-brinkmanship, super-brinkmanship, and mm. h- how many times Sinn Féin and the DUP and everybody walked away, and were saying one thing publicly, but meanwhile we're promising another thing behind the scenes. And I think what what is clear from the book is that what, what carried everybody over the line um, and, you know, let's not forget, arms were involved, was a vision. There was a vision and there was somebody at the helm, Tony Blair, who uh, was very committed to the vision, and that's what's lacking here. Mm. The Tory party have not articulated what that vision is. And if that, I think that's what Tony Blair is talking about when he says, make it a virtue of leaving. What is
1: Britain's vision? Yeah yeah well it is articulating visions but none of them are particularly realistic i suppose okay well that's about it for this week um thanks very much my thanks to lisa and dan uh, for joining me today please do subscribe review on all your favorite podcatchers join the discussion on twitter you just need to search for guardian podcasts if you want to get in touch with us it's a brexit podcast that's all one word brexit podcast at theguardian.com till next week then I'm John Henley. The producer was Rowan Slaney. This was Brexit Means, and thank you very much for listening.
2: For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com podcasts.
0: Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts?